0: Hello and welcome to the GSI podcast. I'm Robin Powell. GSI stands for Global Systematic Investors. The company's mission is to provide a successful long-term investment experience whilst allocating more to companies with a sustainable vision. To find out more, just visit the website gsillp.com. That's gsillp.com. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to be looking at active ownership.
1: One of the reasons why I'm delighted that that we're working with GSI um, is actually this term systematic, because we've always proposed a systematic approach to making voting decisions.
0: That's the voice of Paul Hewitt at Minerva Analytics, our guest on this episode. Minerva is a financial technology company specialising in proxy voting and believe me Paul has some very interesting things to say. Enjoy the interview and check the show notes if there's a specific topic you'd like to hear Paul's views on. So, Paul, thank you very much for joining us on the GSI podcast. Hello, Robin. Good to speak to you today. Why is this line of work so important to you and and, and how did you get into it?
1: I suppose I've always had um, a thing for um, the interplay between social issues and and economics um, back from when I was a student. And so when the opportunity to join Minerva came up, um, it really uh, caught my attention, caught my imagination. I have to confess, institutional investment was a new area for me when I I first joined uh, 18 years ago. But uh, it really made sense because my studies in democracy uh, and voting uh, really chimed with the idea of shareholder democracy.
0: And when did you first realise, if you like, that ordinary investors can actually make a positive difference on on the way that, that companies conduct themselves?
1: That's a really interesting question, actually, Robin, because with my privileged access to Minerva research at a real, relatively early stage, I had a um, a little shareholding in uh, a life insurance company called Cesnara. And I spotted in the research of hours that I've read on that company, that the chief executive um, and his executive colleagues didn't have any requirements in place to hold shares in the company that they ran. And so, when I looked at what number of shares the, co- the chief executive held in the company, and worked that out as a percentage of what his salary was, and then did the same calculation with regards to my holding the company and my salary, I realised I had more skin in his game than he did. So I wrote to the company to say I'm going to vote against the um, remuneration report this year because you don't have these provisions in place, and I think it would be a good idea for you to do so. Um, I got an acknowledgement back. And to be honest, I didn't take it very seriously. But within two years, they had actually um, put that policy into place at the company. Um, and I found that really encouraging because it showed the power of not just voting, but communicating alongside it. Now, obviously, it's hard to say whether your personal impact, Paul, uh, you know, actually
0: tipped the balance, oh. if you like, made, made the difference. But how did it actually feel?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. I'm sure my holding the company didn't make a tremendous amount of difference on its own. But I think the important thing is really making a good point from an informed perspective that chimes with good sense. And um, for me, it was very encouraging to know that when an investor makes a, a good, relevant, well-argued point towards a company that is in the interest of the company and its shareholders, that um, They do make a difference in terms of uh, being listened to, being heard, and I would be very surprised if there weren't other investors making similar points around that time as well. And you've got to take into account the fact that that critical mass is the thing that ultimately makes that difference. If they're getting the same message consistently from a good number of shareholders, then they know that that's something that they ought to consider doing and this is an important
0: principle for minerva isn't it that that every vote counts you know every investor you know can can make a difference and i think this is a is a good point uh, the interview for you to 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 talk about minerva about the services you you provide and and just give a little bit of background on the on the company itself
1: you're absolutely right about this idea that every vote counts and one of the really important principles for us is that we're here um, to help investors take ownership of their own decision-making processes. So we're about providing good quality information, which is a slight differentiator um, for us compared to some of our competitors. So you won't see headlines about Minerva making recommendations about a particular company meeting because all of our customers receive custom bespoke voting guidance which is derived from a policy that's proprietary to each customer on their own. And what we're looking to do there is, in addition to helping each client underpin their own perspective in the voting guidance they get from our systems, is to enable them to ensure and demonstrate with transparency that they're aligning interest between uh, management and their own ownership of the company. And so that's, that's really at the heart of, of what we do. And uh, whilst today's conversation is largely going to be about voting, um, we see voting as an integral part of that wider ownership or good stewardship process, which uh, for which is um, sort of transparency, um, objectivity, and evidence driven um, an evidence driven approach is really important to demonstrating good practice. It's all very subjective, isn't it?
0: We all have our areas that that we focus on and that we think are particularly important for some it might be social aspects for some governance for some climate change and and so on. How do you as a company allow for for for, for those differences when serving you know individual clients you know individual asset managers because because different Different asset managers, if you like, are going to have different priorities, aren't they?
1: Yes, no, absolutely. So we see our role as providers of quality information. So in order to be able to help investors arrive at their own conclusions um, and to accommodate all of those different perspectives, the first thing we need to make sure we do is to provide a really comprehensive range of information data points that feeds into um, the research systems that our clients make use of. And then once we've got that sufficient range of inputs, the second piece is to deploy smart technology to enable clients to make use of those pieces of information in the way that they choose to make use of them. So, um, for example, on the question of dividends when there's a resolution about approving the dividend at a company different investors may take different perspectives on at the point at which they might choose to oppose a dividend resolution our job is to say let's have questions about dividends let's have a choice of outputs about what the voting guidance from our system will be if the investor chooses to say let's have a make sure the dividend doesn't exceed returns Or let's uh, let's not be too worried if the dividends exceeded returns this year, but was fine the the last the last year or or two. Um, And in that way, we provide the variety of not just the substance of the considerations, but actually what the investors choose to do with them. So how
0: comprehensive is 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 the scope of what you cover? Um, do, Do you focus on sustainability? Do you focus on social issues? How how
1: how does that work? so we focus um principally on governance but governance is if you like an umbrella discipline through which we then understand how the company is addressing all of its various different responsibilities of which sustainability is uh, is becoming the most important so Um, The scope of the research that we do covers the way that the company is run, the way the board is organized, how the directors are remunerated and incentivized, um, how the company is audited and the audit and internal control mechanisms they have in place. And then we also look at what kind of policies the company has in place with regard to its external responsibilities. Um, and that's where you start to find the interaction with what we would commonly term ES or the E and S issues and um, the environmental and the social issues. So we're looking at how well the company is managing, um, making its responsibilities known, managing those responsibilities and holding and uh, reporting them and the ability to hold it to account for those um, commitments. It's interesting
0: that you mention executive remuneration because this is very much something that's kind of in the news at the moment, I, I, I'm—I don't know whether you saw uh, the recent remarks by the head of responsible investing at, uh, at the Church of England pension fund. He was particularly uh, expressing concern about huge um, pay rises, excessive pay, for example, to the uh, to, to the, the uh, chief executive at Next, for example, uh, who, who's just had a fifty percent uh, pay rise. Um, it's it's a very emotive subject, particularly obviously during a a kind of cost of living crisis, if you like. Um, but I understand that that part of your philosophy is is that you actually don't mind remunerating or or paying higher compensation, if you like, to company management who are doing the right thing.
1: It's not uncommon. Um, for our clients to, um, to to take that that kind of approach bringing it back to our role in this in this piece though what we're here to do is to enable our clients to make the links between what they want to see happen at companies and what's being reported and how it's happening at the moment so if we take sustainability um, and the improvement of sustainability performance as an example uh, when we're looking at executive remuneration, some of the things that we're looking for is the nature of the linkage between the way that directors are incentivized to perform um, through uh, bonus long term and short term bonus pay and the sustainability commitments of the company. So at a very basic level are the key performance indicators according to which the chief executive's bonuses are paid out in alignment with the company's sustainability commitments that it makes to uh, to the market and to its other stakeholders.
0: Mm. Now, this proxy voting uh, sector, a little bit, bit like ESG ratings uh, agencies, uh, for, for example, is is growing quite fast, isn't it? Uh, in response to the the, the the current popularity of 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 uh, and, and growing demand for sustainable investing, um, who are your main competitors, and and how do your services at Minerva? differ from those of your competitors
1: so um i think that there are two broad areas where, where where we would sort of say we have competitors one is um those companies who provide uh voting and voting related research services for uh, their clients to make use of and in that bracket um our key competitors would be people like um iss um and Glass-Lewis, uh, there's also uh, another UK-based um, uh, competitor called Perk. Um, and there are a number of other um, often market-specific um, competitors that are um, operating um, around the world as well. But in terms of those companies that offer global coverage, um, i.e. coverage of meetings around the world, um I think that probably covers the the main group. And then slightly further afield, there are other service providers who provide engagement services um, within which voting might feature. So they may also be clients of us or of uh, our direct proxy voting um, competitors. But then you're talking about um, people like um, Hermes, EOS, um, Rubico um, and the like. And so um, that's, basically the landscape within which we compete and within that landscape, I think the thing that most uh, obviously singles us out is um, what I referred to earlier before, which is that all of our clients receive custom bespoke voting guidance from us. Um, Pretty much everybody else um, produces their own in-house voting recommendations. So effectively they're saying we as an entity have a corporate view on how we think the world should vote at this meeting. Um, And uh, fundamentally, because we see our role as supporting investors in making those decisions, um, frankly, we don't think it's our business to make pronouncements about how we think other people should vote um, at a a given corporate meeting Um, because we're not the investors. We don't bear the economic consequences of the choices that we're facilitating. So our job really is to provide information to enable those that do bear those consequences um, to make informed decisions uh, transparently and report on them. This is a relatively new sector, isn't it? Um,
0: but but you as a company have been around for for quite a long time, haven't you? Tell, tell me about that. And, and, and how has this landscape, as you, you describe it, how has that changed since since you first came on the scene?
1: Yeah, I was going to say it depends what you call new really. Um but uh, Minerva's been going for nearly 30 years uh now and um I think uh the role and the interaction of sustainability considerations in in institutional investing has been taking off to a greater and greater degree over the last um, fifteen years or so. I would I would say you could pretty much use any point in time and, and see there's an upwards um, sort of hockey stick curve um, from that point. But I think um, if you look at sort of the last ten or fifteen years, the things that have changed uh, most noticeably have been um, that it's become more and more important for institutional investors to prioritize their own ownership of their voting decisions so we've seen um, a lot of them moving away from just relying on third party voting recommendations to really digging under the digging under the surface to make sure that they uh, understand and can demonstrate how they're arriving at voting decisions um, i think um, voting 10 15 years ago was sort of a nice to have perhaps acknowledged as uh, possibly important. Whereas now today, you really can't compete if voting is not an integral part of your um, investment uh, proposition because it's recognised as being an utterly relevant part of the investment process. The other thing I was going to mention was, um, particularly from the UK, but it's now global phenomenon, is the rise of stewardship codes and a codified approach to how stewardship should be conducted. Um, and I think that's really had um, a, 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 a tremendous impact on uh, the number of investors who are now realising that voting is and should be a relevant part of what they do. Mm. Paul, there's been much discussion, hasn't there,
0: about um, you know the really big players in the asset management industry, particularly the big index fund providers like Vanguard. Uh, and blackrock and and so on these own massive chunks of uh publicly listed companies um and, and obviously they can exert a heck of a lot of influence why should a, a small asset manager and obviously uh, gsi is a is a good example of that obviously a growing uh, asset manager but still you know in, in global terms as a very small player if you like why should small asset managers care about proxy voting, given that they're likely to be, in a sense, too small to have to have a huge impact?
1: Uh, well, going back to the anecdote that I related earlier on about my own personal experience, um, I would be very, very surprised if there was an asset manager on the planet that was managing assets as as, as small as my own personal pension pot. but. Um, aside from that i think more importantly um the point i made about the critical mass of multiple investors having a say even the largest um index based investment houses in the world um are uh very they're very rarely um majority shareholders they're they're frequently major shareholders but a major shareholder need only be Three or 5% of the share register. So you've still got 95% of everybody else who also have a say. And so um, companies in particular do listen to their institutional shareholders. Um, and the fact that those institutional shareholders make their voices heard towards the company is what grabs their attention, irrespective, really, of um, how large that investor's holding might be in the company. You're listening to the GSI podcast
0: with me, Robin Powell. I'm talking to Paul Hewitt from Minerva Analytics. If you want to forward to a particular answer, just look at the show notes where we've included a time code for the start of each question. All right, back to the interview. Next I asked Paul, do you have to be a traditional active manager to make a difference in terms of ESG? How compatible is active ownership with the systematic approach to investing favoured by GSI?
1: That's a really good question. One of the reasons why I'm delighted that that we're working with GSI um, is actually this term systematic, because we've always proposed a systematic approach to making voting decisions. Um, Irrespective of how an investor acquires an asset, once they acquire it, they are owners and they have ownership responsibilities. And whether you call the way they acquired those assets passive or active or whatever vocabulary you use, that is still different from the way that they approach ownership. So you can still approach ownership in an active way, even if the way that you would, you might describe they acquired the asset as passive. Exactly. Now, explain
0: this um, approach that you have where you you you, you effectively look at, at 200 names 200 holdings
1: um i think i would i would always underline um quality over quantity um when it comes to uh implementing a, an active ownership approach and um yeah if every investor is different and i think what's important really is to dedicate the appropriate resources to those companies and those issues which are most important to you for whatever reason. Um, so that might that reason might simply be your exposure to the company in terms of it being one of the 200 largest positions in your portfolio, or it might be that there's a group of companies um, in your portfolio who are particularly at risk in terms of um, a, an investment focus of yours. For example, again, climate risk might be a very good example of that, where investors might focus more attention upon those companies where the climate risk is greatest. And so it's entirely appropriate really to focus resources upon um, a smaller number of companies in your portfolio. And indeed, I'd argue that's inevitable, really, that some companies will um, attract and and perhaps deserve, uh, need more focus from you at any given time than, than some others. So it's entirely appropriate.
0: Paul, I'm very interested to find out how Minerva comes up with you know, specific proxy voting uh, recommendations. Uh, may, maybe you could give me an example, possibly, of a, of a recent uh, proxy voting recommendation that you've issued and you know explain how you came up with that particular
1: recommendation. Sure. So um, as I mentioned earlier on, we're, we're collecting um, lots of data points about a company um, ahead of ahead of an AGM that we assess for them. There's over 2000 of them in actual fact. So our job really is about making sure that we um, associate those data points which are relevant to each resolution on the votable agenda. Um, And then the next piece that we do is to test the company performance on each of those data points against each of our client policy template settings. And once we've done that, for each client, then we're able to produce a proposed voting orientation for that for that resolution. Um, so to give you an example, when we're looking at a, a non-executive director election resolution, there will be a number of independence criteria that we're looking to examine. And I use the word examine very carefully because, as I said earlier on, we're not making house recommendations ourselves. So we'll have some clients for whom the length of tenure that that director has served will be a relevant consideration. Some clients might say, we want to vote against directors who've been around for 12 years. Others might say nine. Others might say 15. So our job is to say, how many years has that individual been in place? We record that data point on our data set. And then it's the database that then says, okay, client A, nine years we'll want to vote against because this person's been in for 10 years and uh, clients B and C, 12 and 15 years, will be fine to support the re-election of this director at this time. So every single one of those 2,000 questions or so operates in exactly the same way, and that's how we produce the voting guidance our clients receive.
0: Now the work that that you at Minerva do is obviously very data-driven, research-driven, and that's really dependent, the, the kind of efficacy of 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 that work is dependent on the quality of that data and research how do you as a company you know m- make informed proxy voting recommendations if the data supplied by companies is of a is is a, either of a, of a of a poor quality uh, or, or or insufficient
1: so uh, that that's a really good question um in the context of voting um most of the disclosures which companies are required to make are regulatory disclosures. So they will have been subject to some form of um, robust quality control and audit before they go out. But you're absolutely right. The quality of data can't always be guaranteed. And the availability of data isn't always guaranteed either. Um, We always say, from our own data geek perspective, if you like, that a lack of data is data itself um, because it's telling you something about what the company has perhaps chosen to be unwilling to disclose. Um, But fundamentally, because we're using public disclosures, um, we're no more exposed to bad data than the rest of the market is anyway, except we're able to apply our expertise and experience in um, gathering and interpreting this data to perhaps make something more meaningful out of that uh, potentially uh, lacking data than uh, somebody who is only doing this for part of their job might be able to arrive at. Um, And also, it's fair to say that sometimes we do unearth genuine mistakes in company disclosures, um, because we have built into our own quality control procedures, um, a number of checks um, that that, that we put into place. And very occasionally, um, that throws up some, uh, some anomalies. So, um it's a combination of accepting that companies need to bear responsibility for the accuracy and probity of the information they give to the market. And that's a very important dynamic for supporting well-functioning markets, but also combining uh, that perspective with our own expertise in dealing with this kind of data day in, day out, means that our clients are as well positioned as anyone can be to make the best of the data that's available.
0: Thankfully there's there's more and more emphasis now on transparency uh, in the asset management industry and it's something that you know end investors are increasingly demanding. Um how how do you keep track of kind of voting transparency and, and reporting?
1: Well, um as I mentioned earlier on one of the uh, facets of the increase in uh the demand of the stewardship code is for investors to be able to be held to account for the decisions they're making on behalf of all of us. After, us, after all, it's our money that they're managing. Um, so Minerva clients um, get uh, comprehensive evidence-driven reporting from those voting database systems. Very simply, each of those 2,000-odd uh, research questions upon which the voting template system is based um, has its own reference number. And so every time we produce a piece of voting guidance for a customer, it's because we have flagged one or more of those questions in respect of which the company has uh, failed to reach the expectations of um, the client's voting policy. And therefore, it is included as a part of the rationale for that voting guidance. So GSI and our other clients, when they get a piece of voting guidance on our system, don't just get the for, against or abstain for the resolution. It also tells them which lines of their voting policy have triggered that voting that piece of voting guidance. And so they can use that same evidence trail when it comes to reporting the decisions they've made at the end of the season. How do you see
0: this whole sector developing over the next 30 years if you like what changes do you do you expect to see in 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 proxy voting because it is a very fast changing area
1: yes it is clearly the rise and the rise of sustainability as an investment consideration and, and discipline um that's only going in one direction um and not not just because of the urgency and the rightful importance um attached to the uh, to the whole climate change um issue um but there are more and more ways in which sustainability is, um, is uh, coming to the fore. Um, I referenced the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures earlier on. That is now um, very much hardwired into the way a lot of our clients are thinking and approaching um, their voting. Um, there is also in the pipeline a Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, which is also going to bring in a lot of considerations, particularly around biodiversity. So those two considerations are clearly going to be key, I think, in um, in voting in the future. Um, I think also the growth of uh, instances of shareholder proposals at AGMs, so shareholders putting questions on the agenda of a corporate uh, of a corporate meeting. Um, I think uh, we're likely to see that growth continue as well. Um, and I think also as uh, the importance of investor institutional investor voting um, becomes more and more appreciated and comes more and more under scrutiny, I think regulation in that field is also going to become more prevalent too. And I think that's likely to apply to us as a service provider in this space, um, as it is to investors. And that, that's a trend that we've, um, that, that we've already been seeing. And I don't think, again, I don't think that's going to be going away anytime soon.
0: So, Paul, if there's a uh, institutional investor uh, watching this, if there's uh, uh, the owner of a financial advice or planning firm that's considering ESG and and finding a suitable um, investment solution, why is it so important to choose a manager that has a proxy voting solution like Minerva?
1: I think it's because stewardship is something that uh, requires a good deal of transparency and accountability if it's to work properly. And therefore, when you're selecting an asset manager to work for you or to work for your clients, I think their ability to be able to be accountable to you for the way in which they're making use of all of the ownership rights on behalf of you and your clients um, really is key. Um, Because if they are unable to do that, then there's a lack of transparency there that's, that's unhelpful to be able to demonstrate whether you and your clients' assets are being managed suitably responsibly.
0: Paul Hewitt, thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to the GSI podcast from Global Systematic Investors. I'm Robin Powell, and you heard me interviewing Paul Hewitt from Minerva Analytics thank you to Paul and thanks to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do review it. We'd love to hear your views. And of course, remember to subscribe to it so you don't miss the next one. Until then, goodbye.